up, everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brantlinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn. And out in Long Beach, California, avoiding chunks of radioactive graphite, I'm Robert Denfeld. So, it has been a while, Rob. Yeah. We had to take uh, a bit of another hiatus, and a lot has happened since our last podcast. You know, has it? Some big life events. <laughs> yeah, a few things have gone yeah. down. Um I got engaged, for example, which was yes. a pretty big uh, congratulations, big my deal. friend, and, and, and to Becky. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you, and a bunch of other things. And you know, we like to keep this pod more about uh, focusing on on culture and what we're digging. Yeah. You know, in music, movies, television, etc. So rather than do, making this, you know, uh, thirty minutes about what's what we've been up to these last two months, we Wait, have a lot to cover. That's not what we're doing. <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah, I thought that was just a confessional, That's what I for. let me break down, <laughs> yeah. right, yeah, yeah, I have, I'm talking about, yeah, this is a big diatribe about your first year in, <laughs> right. in, uh, in film school and me oh, talking no. about now. So we are going to cover a wide range of topics, basically yeah. things that we've been digging these last Loose two months colorful. or so, you know, TV, music, movies, etc. This obviously yeah. isn't going to be an exhaustive list of like everything we've consumed because this has right. been quite a, quite a break, but... Uh, I think these are the things that jumped out to us that we're most jacked up to talk about. And we're yeah, going to try to make these back. kind of quick hits, make it like a rotating cast of topics. Yeah. And we've called this like a culture catch up in the past. And I think uh-huh. that'll be the format of this episode. So it works. Yeah. Let's let's get right into it. Let's with do some it. Uplifting material that you've yeah. already alluded to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the light teen comedy uh, Chernobyl. Right. Uh, right. So. Some uh, easy consumption for your Monday evenings. Chernobyl is on fire. And every atom of uranium is like a bullet, penetrating everything in its path. Metal, concrete, flesh. Now Chernobyl holds over three trillion of these bullets. Some of them will not stop firing for 50,000 years. All right, let's talk about Chernobyl to start off. So yeah. before I, I believe you consumed this before I did. And uh-huh. I th- think I recall you telling me that this was your favorite, the, the best thing that you've consumed in, in 2019. Yeah, well, so I think I talked to you when it was maybe halfway through, like three out of the mm-hmm. five had been aired so far. Um yeah, I, I'm, I can't remember exactly when, but uh, obviously I've finished it now. You've finished it. Yeah. Uh, five episode miniseries on HBO. Um, what I haven't I haven't talked to you since you started watching it. I mean, what yeah. are your what are your initial like takeaways? What were your how how did you experience the show? I watched it, you know, as the show aired each Monday night. I, I think I watched each episode on Monday because it just became like. Oh, it's Monday. Yeah. I have to, I have to watch this new episode. Mm. Um, but yeah, what what about you? So yeah, well, it's interesting that HBO decided to slot it into the Monday night, kind of breaking away from that traditional Sunday night format. But yeah. it proved to be a huge success. I mean, I think that was mostly due to the quality of the miniseries. And yeah, I mean, I I watched it. I, yeah, it took me like a few weeks to catch up. I was hearing mm-hmm. a lot of buzz, people talking about it. I was getting some of that FOMO. Like, all right, I got to check it out. I knew it was high quality, but it was also in that, I believe it started in the stretch of like the final season of Game of Thrones where like it seemed like everything else just stopped in time while Game of Thrones was going on as far as what the conversation was about. So like most people, 
I think, you know, I had this vague familiarity with the events of Chernobyl going into right. this. I knew it was some kind of nuclear disaster that occurred in Eastern Europe in the 80s, but really didn't know the details beyond that. And I definitely didn't realize how close it was to uh, wiping out an entire continent, <laughs> right? which is Europe. Like, uh, I didn't know, I knew the stakes and consequences were bad. I did not know Changing that Changing the course of human history? <laughs> yeah, and luckily, yeah. I mean, obviously it was a huge tragedy, but... Uh-huh. It could have been, could have know, been as worse learn, as you're watching it. So much worse, which is yeah. just crazy. Another thing about this that struck me. So this is created by a guy, uh, Craig Mazin, and uh-huh. he wrote Chernobyl. He was kind of the showrunner and just overall, uh, you know, creator. He wrote, yeah, he he did Chernobyl. Before that, this is kind of like his his IMDb. Uh, Scary Movie Three, Scary Movie Four. Hangover Part Two, Hangover Part Three, and Rocket Man. So right. this is quite not a, the not the new Rocket Man. Yeah, yeah, the, from the nineties. Right. Um, yeah, it, it, it's. <laughs> I read that. I was like, I'm in disbelief because this is, yeah, is this handled with so much care, right? And gravitas. It's obviously this intense subject matter, mm-hmm. and it's just like, I mean, it's all. I, I, you know, it was kind of inspiring that a guy mm-hmm. with that kind of career and like, yeah, let's be honest. I mean. Yeah, you, not even the original like Hangover and Scary Movie was involved. But he was right. like you know the late sequels that are just widely considered as as just pure trash. Kind of does, but he yeah. made this is quite an achievement, and yeah. it stars you know Jared Harris, who mm-hmm. people know from uh, Lean from Mad Men, one of my yeah. all time favorite shows. Uh-huh. Uh, St- uh, Stellan Skarsgård, uh-huh. Goodwill Hunting, a million other things. Um, Jesse Buckley plays the female lead, mm-hmm. and they're embellishments. Emily Watson, right? There are embellishments. In this miniseries, of course, but mm-hmm. it definitely felt like the definitive recap of this just very important and devastating historical event. Right. The horror elements, I mean, yeah, as you said, especially yeah, in, the, in those episodes two and three, like these people that were affected oh, man. from ground zero essentially turn into like zombie. I mean, it, they look like zombies. And it, oh, it's it's a it, horror it was film. That third episode like, in the hospital. Yeah. yeah, that is some brutal makeup work and amazing i mean really well done just kind of hard to watch at times yeah yeah and then episode four with the uh i mean there's no other way to put it but the animal executions that's tough (laughs) you know there was a part of me it's like did they go too far and it just like how many scenes of that do we need to see but i guess they were trying to just not sugarcoat it at all and like this is what really happened and show the the absolute worst of it and like the the lowest you know human uh, mm-hmm. activities that they had to take part in to recover from this, you know, sort of just mess, you know, it's just a giant like catastrophe uh, and they just had to so clean levels. it up, you know, it's like, there's just so much that has to be done to, you know, make this go away. And it was just like this process that took years and it's just, yeah, uh, there's nothing You're like still feeling the, yeah, obviously yeah I mean, still... it affected the whole continent as you said and the world at large you know like uh i mean like the whole soviet union side of it and like what what really happened and you know like you said there's there's been some sort of uh blowback as as to what is factual and you know i i kind of take it all as like he obviously did the research and talked to people and you know, read all the books and I've, I've listened to an interview with him. He was like, well, I wasn't out to, you know, present something that wasn't factual. I wanted to like, you know, give the definitive Chernobyl story. 
Um, you know, and like, that was the whole bit, like the Soviet Union lied about everything. And, you know, Mm -hmm. to this day, I think say that there were what, like 31 deaths caused by Chernobyl, but really it's like probably more like 31,000, you know, like, yeah, it's hard to know what the exact range. Yeah. Yeah, And just the lasting effects in just. It's hard to attribute exactly, you know, the exact number of, of deaths, but right. yeah, there was so much, you know, lo- it, I think the miniseries does a great job of showing mm-hmm. the corruption and the decision-making process, and right. obviously it mirrors certain themes happening in the world today and our own right. U.S. government, and it's uh, it was, you know, very much, I think it just had that extra layer, mm-hmm. you know, given the time period that it was released. I mean, there are right. images in this series that really just you kind of never forget. I mean, yeah. you know, one like the, you know, the cement being like poured over the coffins, like as oh, coming, yeah. it was like, just for example, uh, uh-huh. an image that will stay with me. I thought the finale was outstanding. Incredible. Just that storytelling connect, the oh, technique man. of going from the testimony to the events yeah. of the night of finally showing the finally the step showing by it. step. Yeah. It was so intense it, in that courtroom. And then in the, in the control room, like it made me, I actually went back and watched the first episode after watching the fifth. Cause I was like, I have to see from the other side again. And then, I mean, that first episode is just so crazy intense. And like some of those images where they, the people like look down into the core uh, after you know kind of what it is, it's even scarier seeing it again. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just it's just really incredible. I thought the whole series, each episode had like a different sort of, uh, you know, larger takeaway and like what they kind of accomplished. The second episode, I thought in a, in a lot of ways was the scariest episode because that one scene where they're sitting um, you know, with all of the important figures in the Soviet Union and they're discussing like what the potential fallout is of if if mm-hmm. the core like sinks and, you know, contaminates the water supply for the entire continent or whatever. I was like, oh, my God. Or if if the, the water tanks, you know, that they had filled sure. up had exploded. It's like yeah. this is going to. It like could potentially destroy the world. <laughs> it's like yeah, it, the yeah. way they described it, I was like, oh my god! Like Europe is gone if this explodes. <laughs> like this is really. It was just really scary, and uh, like you said, it's a story that I was just like starving for some historical nonfiction. I think after <laughs> like I was so yeah. hyped for this show based on the trailer, and I think it's just you know there's so much television that's obviously nonfiction or I'm sorry fiction. Um, you know, Game of Thrones, uh, everyone was caught up in that and just a lot of stuff that's yeah, uh, wrapped up in another alternate world that never yeah. actually happened. And yeah, this is a nice contrast to something like Game of Thrones, which we'll get to in this episode a little bit, but it's right. Uh, well, there's, I was going to say, there's been a lot of documentaries like last year and, and every year, but, um, it, it sort of the documentary revival period that we're in, but I don't know. For some reason, I was just like really starving for this like historical nonfiction drama, and it it's a story that I always was curious about because you just don't really hear anything about it. Like as a kid, you know, you you know that it was this nuclear disaster, but that's kind of it. And you know, yeah. even like adults, you know, you ask your parents about it, it's kind of like fuzzy. You know, um, mm-hmm. not not many people are like experts on what happened. So now. Now I consider myself like a, a resident nuclear physicist. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, there's know? a lot. They the go boron on rods the, go into the, the science. The, the graphite. They, yeah. 
Yeah, the writing, they do a pretty good job of explaining as much as they can in kind of layman's terms without right. dumbing it down. I mean, yeah, there were there were definitely several moments where I was like, all right, yep, that just went completely over my head. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I've never been someone who, like, just instantly understands all, like, the concepts behind this kind of science. Like, it was never yeah. one of my strongest subjects in school. But I also think, um, you know, before, before we move on, mm. I thought the – this was one of the best uses of, like – the what happened after end credits that I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. It was also, like, super long. It was, like, 20 straight minutes, but it was, like, one shot after another of, like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It It, felt appropriate. You know, sometimes those are kind of, like, cringeworthy, but this was... This was like, oh, man, give me all the information. I want to know all of what's happening to these... You know, and some of the people... Like, Emily Watson's character... The, the scientist, like the lead scientist who helps out Jared Harris's character. Yeah. You know, she was like this this sort of, uh, you know, constructed character that represented multiple scientists that right. helped him. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I didn't know that. Like, it's good to it's good to find those things out. And yeah, I thought I totally agree with you. I, I loved that. I also really like the use of I don't know the exact term for this, but like the sound crackles that like oh yeah implies that they're picking up radiation just right. a really effective way to build tension that was obviously uniquely tied into what this event was it's only really 3.6 ronkins <laughs> Ron- yeah whatever <laughs> but I, I yeah i thought that was that was just really effective you know just so many scenes i mean when they're scooping up as you kind of alluded to in your intro, like scooping up graphite uh-huh. on the roof. Graphite's never sounded yeah, so and they, dangerous. And they showed those event. real pictures of that event. Uh, that was yeah. harrowing. And the and crew the, the, going in to turn off the water valve. Yeah, like, yeah. It's unbelievable to learn. Right. It's unbelievable. I, I could not believe I know. That. I was like, well, these they're, they're all dead. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, like instantly, you know, within hours. Like, well, then, this. I and mean, it's not it's not funny at all, but like the, the bridge of death, like all those people oh, that, yeah, that yeah, went yeah. that night and watched on that bridge. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's Just like, wow, that chilling. is. Yeah. It's really yeah. scary. In the helicopter, appro- when they're approaching the oh, smoke. Oh, man. That's brutal. And that's like a great, just was like writing. I remember um, the scenes between uh the the jared harris character and and stalin skarsgård like when Uh he wants to approach the smoke and he's saying like what the consequences of that would be oh yeah and i thought that had a great dynamic those two characters playing off each other that was like just really really fun to watch and it's the series the relationship evolves yeah yeah totally um it's five and a half hours this whole series um and it's just like you know, I feel like maybe in a few years I'll want to rewatch it again, like just as as a movie, like just crush it in one night. You know, I mean that would be a Five tough hour. night, but uh, <laughs> you know, I I just really recommend this series to everybody. Um, yeah, you know, it's a tough watch. There's some like really gory stuff, but um, highly recommend it to all the listeners. Yeah, an intense but very necessary watch. Like I'd kind of watch this kind of treatment applied to like any historical event is like, yeah, it all to me. Like I'm, I'm in. So Chernobyl, we both fully recommend. We feel like a lot of people probably listening have already seen that. If you haven't, it's yeah. like we said, um, it's, it's, it's not a, uh, a light watch and will put you no. in a certain mood, but I think it's For just, sure. it, it's super important to experience. So let's talk about big little lies quickly, which is mm-hmm. in the middle of its second season. We both really loved i think the first season yeah um, it was my favorite show was that year a bit of yeah phenomenon i think yeah it was right when we 
we started this podcast yeah. a little over two years ago. 2017. And I will say just some quick takes on this season. Mm-hmm. Season one had a very dark subject matter, mm-hmm. you know, with, of course, the domestic abuse plot mm-hmm. line building towards this this murder that happens. It, it still, though, had kind of moments of lightness and fun. Like, I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. for example, you know, the Fleetwood Mac, like, sing-along in the oh, yeah. You know, oh. it, and, like, just there hasn't been any of those moments present in yeah. the season. It's kind of kind of been like a a joyless slog in a way but it's still sure. i still find it very watchable mm-hmm. i like the addition of meryl streep like i think she's really yeah i think without her like i don't know the, she's it's the perfect know, like, addition it, it's like right right yeah it's just this new sort of like obviously massive figure and actor but um her character just uh it, it supplies enough of drama you know um to yeah. keep the story going and yeah continue what, what what's your takeaway well, so far yeah and i like you know her her fake uh her chompers <laughs> right um, right it and, you know she's she's going for it she's she's going full meryl you know yeah. she's had like a lot of moments in in her character you know being uh the mother of mm-hmm. the, the the son you know, who was murdered and yeah. obviously was this horrible person. Alexander Skarsgård. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. The Chernobyl connection. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I like Laura Dern's character, you know, Renata. She's like this entertainingly mm. just like awful human. It's a great performance. I like she's like she's a written. cartoon character this season. I feel like out of all yeah. of those women, she is like really, really going for it. And like, <laughs> it's a little, she's over been the very top. like memeified. Like it, I yeah. think feel like written that they're like going for the memes of like these certain lines like I will not not be rich like that's written for <laughs> right. you know yeah it, who's who's your favorite character I like you know uh, Reese Witherspoon is just a very like likable actress like obviously she's going through her own problems here like I I really actually don't I'm not a huge fan of Shailene Woodley's performance mm. and also mm-hmm. like I. I just hate the kid characters on this show. Like, I think oh, they're really? so unrealistic. Like, their disposition, the way they behave, it's like they're, uh-huh. they're like, 23 years old or something. But it's <laughs> right. like, if you're an 8-year-old, like, no <laughs> right. kids, like, behave this way. I know, they're very mature. In this tone and, like, I know. what they say, it's, it's just kind of ridiculous. It's slightly intimidating. I'm like, are these kids more mature than I am yeah. now? They should be, like, working, <laughs> like, you know, they should be, like, yeah. my boss or something. <laughs> It just the way. Oh yeah, yes, sir. It's like wait, no, you're yeah. nine and you know nothing. Yeah. Um, so even even I don't young know, Sheldon that, Ziggy Ziggy's character. Ziggy, yeah, I, he's young I'm Sheldon. Not, you know, yeah, that's oh, like yeah, the biggest yeah. show on television. <laughs> yeah, young. Shout that out one. to all the young Sheldon heads listening. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I will finish the season, and I yeah. I'm confident it'll go. You know, with these. I believe it'll be like eight episodes again. Uh-huh. It'll end in a compelling way. I'm interested to see, yeah, where the rabbit hole goes with like Meryl investigating, you know, the death of her son and how mm-hmm. that intertwines, like, you know, just where this all ends up. But yeah, I don't know. I as a whole, I'm I'm just kind of like, yeah, this is it's very soap opery. You yeah. know, obviously like some really great like editing and cinematography, uh-huh. and you know, such a beautiful. It's such a at uh california show like these meeting yeah. spots that they have it's like oh let's go meet at like this beach bonfire in this like really uniquely designed like swing set and have like a normal you know like it, it's just such a california and these locations and things like that but i don't know what yeah are you are you kind of on this wavelength with this season or yeah so this show i mean this season's definitely more soap opery as you said and um you know like if you're 
if you want some like hardcore just drama like it's 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 a drama you know there's not a lot (laughs) this season especially there's not a lot of comedy there's not not much else going on besides like the dramatic elements but um you know like i said that some of the characters are a little more like cartoony a little more like over the top this season but um i'm actually really impressed with this season um you know, it's not going off the source material anymore. Like, the first season was based on this book by, uh, what's her name, uh, Moriarty, Leanne Moriarty, um, and mm-hmm. David E. Kelly created the show and adapted it, and then Jean-Marc Vallée directed all the episodes of the first season. He is not directing this season, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was really impressed with the second episode, Telltale Hearts. I thought the the ending especially had me, like, in in full tears actually like tears running down my cheeks which doesn't quite happen very often you know like I'll well up a lot but like it was a full cry um so that I mean that that says something and um yeah I mean I just it's 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 a compelling show that I I want to keep watching and all the performances of these these leading you know actresses are just really really uh interesting and like it's just kind of a fun dynamic between them and obviously Meryl Streep joining the crew is like you know who else what bigger name could you get to to join the cast so yeah I mean it's fun and I think a lot of people you know were doubting how how this season was going to be and myself included especially that first episode I was like oh man I don't know if this is going to work you know I wasn't like instantly sold on it but Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to finish it. And I'm, I'm actually now glad that they, they made the second season. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to touch on just a little, uh, given that it was the, uh, what cultural phenomenon of our lifetime, uh, in oh. Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That can we still talk about, we Game unfortunately of didn't really get to cover much on the pod just yeah. the way our schedules shake shook out, but well, let's let just quickly, did you <laughs> we'll watch it then? <laughs> Yeah, we'll try to, you know, wrap up, you know, uh, something that had, you know, billions of hours have been yeah. poured into this you <laughs> I know. Know, the anal- analysis of this final season. I'm kind of sure. relieved that it's all over. This final season was going to be heavily criticized no matter what, just given the mass, I mean, volume of just people that are consuming it and people that deeply care about these characters and the story. Right. Like it was always going to be divisive. I think no matter what story they told in this final season and mm-hmm. the way I always kind of viewed game of Thrones is like spectacle is what I wanted most out of it. And this season delivered two episodes um, in uh, there was the bells and then, mm-hmm. you know, the final battle. Uh, well, the bells was the, with the night walk. Yeah. The bells was the fifth episode where Danny yeah. storms in and, you know, burns them all. Yeah, which was just, I thought, and look, I thought her her character turn, it made sense to me. I mm-hmm. can kind of understand why people were able to to really, you know, nitpick at it. Yeah. And even if you didn't like the, the writing of those episodes, I feel like they totally raised the bar of what you can do from a spectacle standpoint on TV. Sure. Like, they are the peak of what um, you can do uh, visually from a budget standpoint. Yeah. Um, just the sheer scale and I mean, the legacy, I'm just in my opinion, and I know people, I think the majority like aren't don't necessarily view the, the, the show this way, but mm-hmm. that's what I've always wanted the most out of it. And this final season 
you know, two out of the, I think there are only five total episodes, even though I know some were very uh, long. Six. It re- six, yeah. Yeah. It really, it really delivered. And look, I thought the finale, you know, definitely had moments where I was like, okay, this, this is bad. This is bad. Uh, right. Like, you know, right. the, the brand cancel, council, for example. Yeah. Like, I thought I was that like, was they the know worst this is episode. Like, this is being like shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, no, I I agree. I was like, yeah, you know, this is like going in the finale of a uh, Game of yeah. Thrones. Like, you know that, right? <laughs> this like, is it. this is yeah. a, this isn't a deleted scene. Right. So it's interesting. Like, I wasn't enraged at the final scene, like a lot of what Twitter did, and I know Twitter's mm-hmm. a bubble, and everyone's just angry, and you think we're on the verge of the uh, civil war if you go on Twitter, you know. But right. for me, like, yeah, I love the bells. I I thought mm-hmm. Arya taking out the Night King in in you know the big. Um, the long night episode from the rafters. Like it was genuinely thrilling, like that moment of her taking <laughs> yeah. her out and, you know, just the development of, of Arya's character. Uh-huh. Um, the volume of memes that Thrones oh, produced, I mean, is, is unparalleled. Like it's yeah. undefeated. Like, and it's just, it was, it, and it's always, you know, I mean, this is not uh, a, an original thought. I mean, like this has been well established, but mm-hmm. I will miss kind of the, um, the monoculture that Game of Thrones yeah, brought this decade. The Super Bowl nature of the show, and everybody talks about it. Everyone at work the next week is, you know, like, what'd you think? You know, you don't even have to say, like, what you're referring to. It's like, what'd you think? Yeah, everyone. <laughs> like, yeah, the water cooler everyone talk knows. And, yeah. And no, just, I, yeah, what it did for the internet. I mean, it, it's, right. it's, it's undoubtedly just, I mean... It's even just stupid to say, like, it's a phenomenon. It's like, oh, really, Ben? It's a phenomenon. Game of Thrones. Oh, gee, great insight. <laughs> right. But, like, it really is in every sense of the word. I mean, it is our, yeah. it is the Star Wars of our lifetime. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. And so there's some things I want to mention about this season. It's obviously been well, well, uh, you know, combed through covered. and, yeah, covered. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I really liked the, the first episode opening. Uh, the episode's yeah. called Winterfell. And, you know, they kind of circled back to the very first episode of the show and, you know, through Arya's eyes in the first episode of the series and then through this, like, random kid's eyes in the in this episode and Arya's there. And, you know, so that was nice and a good start. Um, and A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, the second episode, had the, you know, the knighting of Brienne Tarth. Jamie Lannister knights her. That was, <laughs> like, one of the all-time best scenes of you the show to me. You were moment. Uh, I mean, tears were welling for sure. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, Pod sings Jenny's song or whatever. And that montage oh, that yeah. was really beautiful and well, well shot and done. Um, the long night I thought was incredible. I, mm-hmm. I, to me, that was like one of the coolest hours of television I've ever seen. Um, just so Cinematography staggering. Was- yeah. I'm sure you were like obsessing over the lighting, which became a pretty hot topic on sure. Twitter of like, Everyone, turn your brightness up. I can't see I mean, anything. But I thought I felt it was like them trying to capture just the chaos of war yeah. and how confusing and just insane it can be. And I think it was it was a creative choice to do so it that it, way. And it w- yeah. it was less of a cinematography issue uh, than it was a megabits per second from HBO streaming Ooh. platforms. I'm in, uh, I'm in film school. I'm in film school. Comment. <laughs> we actually talked about that episode in my uh, in my yeah, color yeah, no, my post production color class. Yeah, it yeah. basically was more of like a an issue with how HBO Go like uh, provides the the stream, oh, and yeah, it's just yeah. the it's like 10 megabits per second on Netflix. HBO does five megabits per second. We don't get to need to get too nitty gritty. I don't know all the details really. I just kind of like read. Tan- I read one article about it, and I'm an expert. But 
Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was cool that it was super dark and some of the, like the Dothraki flames all going out at, and in that instant, oh, yeah. like that, that was cool. And you, you can't do that unless it's super dark and, you know, like they were hiding, obviously they're hiding some CGI stuff. Like, yeah, it, it's dark because it's a bunch of dragons flying around and like, we don't know how to show it. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a little bit cheaper anyway. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, The Bells, that was the fifth episode. Massive, obviously, like, uh, ramifications of, of Daenerys Stormborn yeah. blowing up everything. And, you know, she blew it. Um, but, you know, you saw it coming. It wasn't a big shock. Like, obviously, the massive takeaway from this uh, season and really, like, the last three seasons is just it's kind of rushed. You know, they're... They're past the source material. George R. R. Martin has hinted at how it should end to, you know, the the showrunners, um, Benioff and Weiss, and and whatever, you know, like uh, they they had to end it, you know, they can't do it forever, yeah, and so it had to end, and I I think like. Besides the Iron Throne, the last episode, yeah, I thought that could have been handled a little better. And, like, you know, you hear people that read the books and they're like, you know, Bran. I've read the first two books and and Bran's more of a central character in the books from from the beginning. And, I mean, in the early seasons of this series, he he is a massive figure and, like, one of the main characters kind of fades away in the middle. Um, You know, it, it makes sense more to book readers that he would be on the Iron Throne or whatever, you know he is the the three-eyed raven yeah Um, i mean i hate i i i (laughs) bran is just bran just sucks he's the worst (laughs) i I mean i've said this before and again yeah a lot of people have echoed this from this final season but (laughs) every time brand's on screen i just kind of roll my eyes and want it i think that's the title of this episode brand just sucks dot 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 brand just uh he just there's no other way to put it yeah he just sucks like that's the best word to um encapsulate it but it is what it is and like i said i i think even though this show the quality dipped a bit once they got past the source material it's still Uh. delivered you know, a handful of just jaw-dropping episodes. Oh, yeah. It's not like it was just all trash. And I get the rushed writing, and it just, right. the thing is, in the show, when you get it to this level of phenomenon and just how deeply people care about the characters, um, you're gonna you're gonna ruffle some feathers. Yeah, it's gonna be parsed. Do. Every moment and, is like, you know, you know, and that and that shows with all of the pictures of you know the Starbucks cup or whatever the coffee cup and the the water bottle in the last episode. It's like, are people going frame by frame with this show? Those those mistakes are actually quite remarkable. Like I don't know how it slips through the cracks of like, you know, twenty post editors that didn't see a yeah. coffee cup on the table. Like it's kind of staggering how that happens. I don't I don't really know how that's possible, but. Anyway, um, yeah, it's obviously being picked apart on the internet and every moment is critical and, you know, but in the end it's like they did it and it it was super entertaining. Um, you never get moments of dragons flying around burning a city, you know, like they, they kind of accomplished (laughs) what they set out to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the legacy of the show, when they think back of it, you know, 20 years from now, like it probably, you know, it definitely will be the defining show of this decade. No doubt. And, you know, the consensus will be like, yeah, it stumbled a bit in those last few seasons, which by the way, like most great shows have had. Yeah. It's tough to definitely throw away episodes, seasons, finales. I mean, God, like you can count on one hand, the amount of like 
finales of great shows where everyone was like, that was awesome. Yeah, like, like that was satisfying. You know, uh, Breaking, Breaking Bad, Bad is the one <laughs> yeah. that's the one that's In probably unison. most well-received. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, everything from starting with the divisive finale of, you know, The Sopranos to, you know, things like Lost and even like mm-hmm. The Wire and all this. I mean, it, it's... It's impossible to please, but I Wait, think did Lost it'll... end? <laughs> right, yeah. I think Lost is in its 29th season. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, let's, let's. I mean, yeah, we could go, we could talk about Thrones for the next, yeah. like, three hours, but... We let's watched do a, Game um, of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, like, like everyone else on this planet. So, right. let's get, uh, let's do a quick hit on Fleabag season two before we get into some music. Yeah. I haven't seen her since. Except for... Nice jumpsuit. Thank you. You look well. Where have you been? Boots. It's lovely there this time of year. Oh, you look fantastic. Oh, well, you both look gorgeous. Oh, wow. thank you. Is that fur? Yes, but it's okay because it had a stroke. Oh, oh lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go to hell for that, can I, Father? <laughs> no, not as long as you confess. This second season dropped this spring. Mm-hmm. Six episodes only, the 25-minute format. Phenomenal format, phenomenal oh, season length. So great. You can bang it out in one night. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I remember <laughs> trying to watch first, the first season when it aired a few uh-huh. years ago. Couldn't really get into it, just wasn't really drawn to the characters. And I was just like, ah, I just don't really feel like doing this. But sure. the second season emerged. A lot of the people, you know, including, you know, The Ringer and our, our, our boys, uh, Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald, The uh-huh. Watch, just like, saying this is the best thing i've seen all year you have to watch it and i was like all right well i'm definitely checking it out especially given the format it's not a huge commitment yeah and i I wouldn't say this was like as earth shattering as i've heard but it was still Mm. very sharp writing and performances yeah funny it's clever in how they break the fourth wall with uh you know uh phoebe waller bridge's character Uh acknowledging the camera and the priest that she's seen and yeah. she's super talented she wrote killing eve she also played like mm-hmm. a randomly played like a droid in in the solo, solo. on solo yeah. star wars movie yeah um so i yeah i i liked i liked this season i thought I, I i really dug the the intro credits where it's like this basically two second yeah classical like orchestral music fleabag i love that cut. too yeah. I, I love a i love a quick hit i was actually gonna say about big little lies <laughs> the opening credits is like is like 90 seconds and it's like uh, yeah. was that a short well, film HBO like, does what's going ones. on here yeah you know olivia coleman fresh off her, uh, her best uh her oscar for yeah the favorite she's she's awesome she's amazing andrew scott plays just the, the priest is what he's called on on imdb uh-huh. um he i think yeah brought just a lot of momentum and like kind of a just very uh necessary type of character for the story yeah. they were trying to tell and yeah, this was this was really good. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I I think it was maybe a little overhyped, but mm-hmm. it's definitely just high quality, super well written, performed. Yeah. Love the format, and you know, it's it's very British, you know, which <laughs> sure. I, I usually like, you know, dry British humor, and it yeah. takes place in these kind of lived in parts of London. But mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah. What did you say? You you dug it? I mean, I agree. Like the first season was a little bit underwhelming to me um you know people hyped it up and i liked it i liked the first season um but i didn't i wasn't like crazy about it i wasn't sure about the breaking the fourth wall bit um you know uh phoebe waller bridge bridge's character uh you know obviously talks to the camera and that's like a huge element of of the series um i wasn't really in love with that aspect of it until the second season i i just like 
for some whatever reason like it just kind of clicked and started humming in the second season and made sense and then obviously uh like you said andrew scott's the priest character started like noticing that she was looking at the camera and then you get into like is the priest god and is Mm -hmm. you know is the camera you know what is the camera and so like it's kind of like interesting to think about it on an intellectual level and you know it does something as an audience member you're sort of like part of it and like interacting with with the main character in a way so that's that that was really cool and and i i thought it landed better in the second season um yeah i just loved spending time with these characters and i think something that why it's so popular and people are hyping it so much is is just like the consumable package of it like you said it's each season is like two and a half hours long or so it's it feels like just sort of a a long movie in a way um if you just crush it on amazon prime uh yeah and andrew scott's character like you said i think that first episode of this second season was really really something like just the writing there and and the way they constructed it narratively like the the timeline was really interesting and you know when we saw stuff and I don't know I I just the second season was really remarkable to me um it's it's kind of sad and surprising that it's apparently over now um that there is not going to be a Mm. third season uh I really loved uh I'm not sure you pronounce her first name Sian Clifford who plays uh Claire the sister of Fleabag I I loved her character just really like brought the most comedy for me in the show um yeah uh Fleabag it's definitely worth checking out if you're if you're a guinea pig person or you know just like like a quick quick comedy for your evening watching yeah yeah it's it's original the writing it's sharp it's quick it's witty it like I said yeah I think the, the main innovation is just how they kind of break this fourth wall, what you're mm-hmm. saying with the priest character and kind of what that represents. It was just never really been done before in a show. And mm. I think that was kind of what, what anchored it. So yeah, let's, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, great writer, great actor. She's not even, she's 33 years old right now, turning 34 soon. I mean, remarkable, like start to her career. And uh, I'm excited to, to see what she, you know, works on going forward yeah she's a powerhouse for sure yeah so let's get into some music here across the aisle yeah into there we wanted to hit on tom york's third solo album which was just released called anima yes and this album i have not listened to it all the way through yet i've listened to about half yeah i had it on this morning before you called that it is yeah so you had a weird morning i assume (laughs) um this is a mood. I, I mean, it's not. It's not surprising. Like it's, it's very dream like. Yeah. We're both Radiohead fanatics, sure. so and you know Tom York is the uh, more than anyone the creative force behind you know Radiohead, which is one of the best yeah. bands of our lifetime, maybe the best. And <laughs> yes, it's Tom York music, so it's beautiful. It's uh-huh. depressing as hell. Sure. It's impeccably produced. Yes. It has song titles like I Am a Very Rude Person and <laughs> yeah. Last I Heard, parentheses, ellipsis, He Was Circling the Drain. <laughs> so, you know, I yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to be streaming this throughout uh, the next week. It's, I wouldn't call it a big, uh, you know, it's funny to release it like right in the middle of the summer. <laughs> right. You won't be hearing this at many uh, barbecues this summer, uh-huh. but it is, you know, Tom York, 
he really paints these amazing like sonic landscapes with his music. His voice is so haunting and distinct. Yeah. And just really moody. There's, you know, a lot of just youth of synthesizers. He's clearly interested in, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of electronic music. And mm-hmm. he's able to kind of collage it all together. That's something that's pretty just um, distinctly him. So yeah. that's all I can really say about it at, at well, the moment. I know that um, Paul Thomas Anderson directed a, it's a Netflix special that like yeah. ties into the album, which I think you, you the experienced one some of already. Oh yeah, I watched it last night twice. Okay, have yeah. you not watched it? <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. No, dude, what are you? Hold on, can we hit right, the space? The can we hit the space bar here? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I gotta reprioritize uh, my my life. No, it's fine. So Paul Thomas Anderson directed a fifteen minute, basically music video dance piece. Um, it it is a music video of three of the songs. Um. So I believe it's Traffic, Last I Heard, He Was Circling the Drain, and Twist. Um, I believe. I, I could be wrong about that, actually. Don't quote me. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, it's it's three of the songs, uh, music videos. Darius Kanji uh, shot it. The you know great cinematographer shot Seven, among others, the movie Seven. Um it's it's remarkable, man. This this it's on Netflix. Check it out, Anima. You have to kind of uh search for it it's not like it's not featured it's not yet. getting a top hero banner treatment yeah i mean it just came out <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a thursday a yeah thursday yeah. june 27th when when the album was released also uh it's it's remarkable man like i i loved this this one reeler so he's calling it a paul thomas anderson's calling it a one reeler which is like a throwback to referencing like film reel you know one reel is about 10 to 12 to 15 minutes depending on the film stock you're using and uh so this is 15 minutes long basically there's there's these like buster keaton elements to it apparently paul thomas anderson and tom york are like big fans of these you know buster keaton silent films and that's kind of how tom york is like strolling around this world in this like Mm. sort of throwback uh you know You'll, you'll recognize it when you see it kind of kind of style and there's some amazing dance performance pieces with this like it's a weird watch like don't get it's it's full tom york you know um they went for yeah, it's it it's pta but, and tom york i mean yeah it's gonna... and but tom york like he's a very interesting unique looking and performing person and uh yeah. you know it's he's more expressive in this than i've ever seen him and it's it's you know he's the central character and you kind of follow him through this world and it's really cool like i highly recommend checking it out it's a it's like a short film of note i would say awesome awesome so let's let's talk about my favorite album of the year well i will be shocked if this is not by the end of the year my favorite record of 2019 and my favorite album since Kendrick Lamar's Damn in 2017 I am talking about Vampire Weekend's Father of the Bride nice their fourth studio album Mm -hmm. is it fourth uh yeah their fourth first one in six years and this was well worth the wait I was a little nervous um with the absence of Rostam, who was one of their their main songwriters and producers, he left the band a few years ago. Was still yeah. involved he had in some his of the solo album Half Light. 
Yeah, which is good. And I, I, I always thought he was outside of Ezra, their front man, their, their most talented member. But mm-hmm. And I didn't really love the first single, uh, Harmony Hall, which came out, I believe, in, in February or March. But mm-hmm. then their track, This Life, dropped. And then the, the full album soon after. And I got to say, yeah, that front to back, I just freaking love this record. I think mm-hmm. it was released in early May. It's kind of like perfect spring music in, in a lot of ways. Like yeah. It sounds like you're just opening the window on a crisp spring morning. Mm-hmm. It's it's their most accessible album. You know, Vampire Weekend, they've been around for quite a, you know, they've been in our lives for over 10 years. They're kind of like this one, these like, this indie rock band that's kind of like stood the test of time throughout yeah. all these different trends in, in, in music. And, you know, I, 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 all their albums, I like, I either like to a degree of like really like to like love. I'm a pretty big fan of theirs. Yeah. And they've been so consistent, but I can understand in the past people, just their style of songwriting can feel a bit too like quirky and annoying and uh-huh. just the lyrics. And also I don't want to get too far into just their, the fashion and the fact that they're kind of these like upper middle class white guys that all met at Columbia and kind of sure. just all like the politics there. But these guys are just such freaking great songwriters. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just an album like upon like the first like three songs. I just knew this was going to be something that I yeah. was going to love. And re-listen, double album. Re-listen to. Yeah, quite super a bit. re-listenable. Yeah. I got it on vinyl. 18 tracks. Oh, you did. It's just nice. like pa- packed with indie pop bangers. Yeah, actually, yeah. Becky, yeah, got it to me. Got it me on vinyl which is which is awesome and that's nice there like isn't a skippable track in it it showcases a broad yeah. range of genres i mean there's pop there's hip-hop jazz indie electronica this band is just it's so goddamn like musical like they uh-huh. just pull influences from everywhere yeah i love just the the delicate sound of of ezra's voice mm-hmm. his sense of melody the lyrical wordplay this mm. band they just like this is kind of like nerdy songwriter stuff, but Hit me. they just, when you listen to their songs, they fill in just the gaps so well, like just like your ears. It's just like a, a joy for your mm-hmm. ears. Like, Ooh yeah. Like these little bells and whistles and production right. flourishes and like everything kind of just fits. And there, there's a lot going on on this album. There like, is. It's not, yeah. I want to call it like stripped down, but like they clearly spent a ton of time tinkering with it. I mean, mm-hmm. It took them six years to make, you know, they also hmm. took some time off, but um, I think it paid off greatly. It was produced yeah. by Ezra uh, Koenig, the the front man, and then uh, Ariel uh, Reichstad, who's one of the top producers mm. in music. Yeah, I mean, I could I could do like four hours on, on this pot, you know, on this yeah. album. I'm not going to do that because we have a lot, <laughs> you know, still to get to. But sure. yeah, I, I I take it you're. We've texted a little bit about Father yeah. of the Ride, and it seems like you're a fan as well. No, and thanks for you know hipping me to the release date you were like have you heard vampire weekend yet like get on yeah, it yeah i was kind of so, freaking out when it happened when it yeah out. yeah i knew it was on the horizon but i i was glad to get that little reminder from you but yeah i i think i've already listened to this album like four or five times all the way through um it's so one of the criticisms i've heard recently about vampire weekend is just like they all kind of all the songs kind of sound the same um which like there is there is an element of that to me with this album, but I think there is enough variation that I, I don't really, I don't really believe in that criticism. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that criticism is, is uh, BS completely. Yeah. I, I could, I could just rip that criticism apart. No, I mean, at, it's not from me They have like directly. a total like piano driven jazz song. And right. And they have, you know, these like 
very accessible pop tracks and yeah. songs that sound like they were written, you know, almost in like the night could be like written in the 1950s. Well, I think it's just the ones vocals. That are just very acoustic. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Sure, and sure. the I believe me, it's not from me. I, I think it. I know. This, no, this not, album has not, a lot of variation, but it's you. like I think I think that's kind of the strength of it is that it does kind of feel of the same piece throughout yeah. the album, and it's very. Like, it's one of those albums that you just put on on the first song, and then all of a sudden it's over. You know, it's like, it you just, you don't want to change the song. It all kind of blends together seamlessly. And yeah, so I, I really love this album, and I'll, I'll keep listening to it all summer. It's It's got that sort of, like, more, <laughs> to contrast anima, it's a more of, like, a summer uh, poppy feeling. Yeah, you could put this one at a, yeah, on at a social gathering. Yeah. It's... You know, I, I really love, I have to mention, you know, uh, Daniel Heim, who's um, uh-huh. kind of the lead vocalist of the, you know, uh, the pop group, uh, pop rock group Heim. She's yeah. featured in several songs. I think she just harmonizes so well with Ezra's vocals. I love her voice. Yeah. Contrasting. It's it's great. You know, just like the opening track, Hold You Now. I mean, they freaking, yeah. this is an example of them just pulling influences from just random places. Uh, they sample a score from Terrence Malick's war epic Thin Red Line and hmm. When that hit drops, like, I'm not a very religious person, but, like, it makes me want to, like, reach out to the heavens and, like, touch the face <laughs> of God. When, when, when that, when that uh, drops in the, in the opening track, I love, huh. you know, the, the bass line and how long. This Life is my favorite song of the year. Like, when oh, we're doing that's our a top great. Songs at the end of the year. So like, great. I mean, that's, just, that's just, like, a brilliantly constructed yeah. uh, piece of pop songwriting. I agree. I've been cheating on, cheating on you. You've been cheating on me But I've been cheating through this life And all this suffering Oh Christ Songs like Bambina and Strangers are just like indie mm-hmm. pop bangers You know, the the orchestral strings in, in Rich Man I, mm. I'm really like a fan of just everything about this album, except mm-hmm. for the the artwork, which looks like it was made with like Microsoft Paint or something. Yeah, it's like very clip arty. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, I just I I freaking love it. And again, like I could I could do uh, another ten hours. <laughs> no, on, I think but... we I think we covered it pretty well. Can I circle back <laughs> yeah, quickly? Right. Uh, sure. Yeah. I I just opened up this article about Anima, and I just wanted to like fact check myself. The the three yeah. songs that this video is is set to is not the news traffic and dawn chorus. Mm. Those are the three tracks. Um, it's choreographed by Damien Jalay. Uh, I I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, and he and Tom York worked together on Suspiria last year, and uh, I I think they just sort of felt like they had some unfinished business and they wanted to continue their collaboration. So uh, you know he did the choreography which is once you see it it's a massive element of this of this short film um so yeah that is uh anima i just wanted to mention a couple other quick things about it before we we wrapped up there um so yeah let's uh let's continue on with another musical element all right so let's move on to our our last music item for this episode before getting into some movies and some other things i wanted to yeah. Quickly talk about this new record from uh, Tyler, the creator, called mm-hmm. Igor. Igor, Igor. Yeah. So 
I first heard of Tyler. It that makes me think of Young Frankenstein, <laughs> the Igor character. Oh yeah, a- 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 ab- <laughs> absolutely. And also just like his his music kind of feels like has like Frankenstein, Frankenstein vibe vibes in some way. Yeah. Like, yeah, in some weird way. So I when I first moved to New York in like the fall of 2010. That was when he was kind of first breaking. If you remember, he had that song Yonkers in mm-hmm. that music video of him in like the black and white silhouette. And it's like yeah. a really just interesting, intriguing video. And I was struck like immediately by his deep, like almost ghoulish voice. Yeah. And yeah. the creative vision of that music video just immediately struck me as something different. Mm-hmm. And I just have like very distinct memories of just watching that video on loop with like these new, you know, New York people, uh, right. art, you know, creatives that are I live really here obsessed now. with it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think of Tyler creator, he has the kind of career that I think every artist like ideally wants. When you think about the critical respect that he has, mm-hmm. he has this really like diehard core fan base. Mm-hmm. He has a very exacting, uncompromising vision. Yeah. And now with, with Igor, he has a number one record and kind of has this this mainstream success though without really compromising yeah that vision his and underground the, sort of feel he has like best of both worlds kind of yeah which is a really really hard balance to strike and yeah. he he's done it and you know he's also just got a very engaging personality and live show and social mm-hmm. media presence um but you know with this new record igor he produced the entire thing it's a very cohesive body of work, and you can tell, again, yeah, this is an artist that did not have that vision compromised, despite mm-hmm. you know it being released through Columbia, one of the biggest you know major labels part of Sony yeah. in the industry. I feel like the label knew that he has such a, a, a loyal fan base, and yeah. kind of giving him complete creative control, like it would still be a huge success. And this album... It's not one you would um, kind of were thinking. We were talking about Tom York earlier. Mm-hmm. One that you kind of put on at a at a social gathering as well. Right. Like I think it's one that's <clears throat> meant to be listened to front to back with mm-hmm. you know the noise canceling headphones that I feel like we always bring up that you and I are are, are really into. And it's sure. it's pretty like challenging music. Yeah, you know there are these chord changes that kind of go in unpredictable directions. Very like moody synthesizers. There's kind of like these weird hooks like he's also rapping but singing quite a bit in this this album mm-hmm. there isn't much pop elements but i just really like respect you know this his artist's vision, vision yeah. and just how he's been able to maintain creative control throughout his basically like 10 year career at this point yeah and just like the the brand is really strong like for this mm-hmm. album rollout he's wearing you know these kind of like slightly oversized like pastel suits like yeah the yellow blonde. suit is that little uh, music video where he's just like dancing on the stage in the middle of the desert. Have you seen that with like a yeah, wig, I think I've blonde seen wig on or something? That's like yeah, a, it's a weird vibe, but I I, I dig it. <laughs> it. It makes sense for him, yeah. Somehow, and yeah, like the blonde bowl cut wig, yeah, yeah. These like kind of dorky sunglasses, but right. I, yeah, I love how that's been packaged with the album, and you know, it kind of reminds me of you know something that. Uh, Kanye West what kind of really sure. excelled at for a while is sure. you know beyond extending um, you know your brand well beyond the music mm-hmm. and have have it being very consistent throughout all these touch points whether it's yeah the album any of the marketing surrounding it music videos live performance the overall mm-hmm. just style and fashion attached to each album and I think Tyler does that really well and I think he's doing it best right now so yeah 
And major and, props to him, even though it's it's not like one of my favorite records of the year uh-huh. either. But I just really respect it, and it is, you know, the fact that he produced the entire thing, and again, just maintaining that that creative vision. I, I just really yeah. respect. And it has some elements. I mean, you, you said it's a little, you know, tough to listen to, not for everybody in a way, but it is a little more approachable than his first few albums. And it, it follows up uh, Flower Boy, which I thought was sort of the same. It it has like mm-hmm. its own sound and it's it's different than this album, but um, it, it was a little more approachable, a little more mature. You know, he's, he's uh, singing slash rapping about some like love you know, love is a theme on this heartache. new album. Yeah, heartache and pain, and so it's like it, he's maturing. He's uh, as an artist and as a person, um, and that's good to see. This this was the first album that debuted at number one on the the Billboard 200. Um, so right, his first I mean, one. yeah. So he's uh, and I I really love the first. I wanted to mention the first track on this album, Igor's theme. I think that's just mm. like a great start to the album, and uh, kind of those carries. drums hit. Yeah, yeah. It's like those dusty percussion. It's yeah, yeah. It's it's really dope. He did a really cool teaser for before the album came out, where it's like these like I don't know thirty like Tyler the Creator like heads floating huh. and like staring in one direction. Oh, I haven't seen that. And they're all doing very slightly different things. And then once the drums hit, just one of the heads like turns facing towards the camera and starts oh, wow. like Bobby. It's it's it was like a very just cool you know piece of like micro content that he used to kind of tease out the album yeah well and a lot of there were a lot of people featured on this album i I won't get into the list but there's like a huge list of names and and they're kind of like hidden in a way like nobody really stands out um i don't know that's mm-hmm. that was my impression like they're kind of uh just like small features like secondary vocal tracks and things like that um so i, I thought it was really like a great use of creative talent and uh yeah it's a really solid album word so before we review a few movies that we've uh we've dug recently yeah we wanted to quickly just recommend for those that haven't heard of it, this podcast that Conan O'Brien is doing called Conan Needs a Friend. I feel uh-huh. like it, I didn't um, research exactly when it came out. I feel like it's been around for at least six months, maybe a year. And Yeah, I think so. I'm someone, I grew up loving Conan O'Brien, you know, Me late too. night. He was at one point like a, just a top five person in pop culture for yeah. me like particularly in high school and middle school yeah he wrote for With snl this... and the simpsons and obviously oh, yeah. the late night show right so this is not late night conan though on this pod like he still has that kind of like zany sense of humor but mm-hmm. on this podcast he's much more subdued relaxed and revealing like it feels yeah. very Human confessional uh-huh. and it doesn't even when he brings on these guests and they're like huge celebrity like he's had Everyone from Stephen Colbert to Michelle Obama, Ben Stiller, uh, Mother Effing Jeff Goldblum has been on. Right. The God, shout out to the God. <laughs> yes, let's go faster. So he has a new movie coming out. Anyway, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Goldblum. Yeah, and he's got a budding jazz career too. Yeah. So anyway, don't go down the the, the Goldblum tangent. <laughs> the Goldblum world. So yeah, it's it's tough to be sucked. We almost we almost got sucked in there, but we yeah. Didn't. So back to Conan. It it feels when he has these guests on, it almost just feels like this two-way conversation rather than an interview. And, and they're, quick to, like, they're quick to uh, point that out. A lot of the guests are like, wow, this is like a, a different side to you that I've never seen before. Yeah. 
I just think he works really well in this podcast format. He's found yeah. like, a really nice groove. You know, he's extending his his brand beyond you know all the uh, the broadcasting and late night TV that he's done for the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. There's this interview with Howard Stern. Howard Stern, yeah, that was unbelievable. One of with the risk of sign, you know, at the risk of hyperbole, like was one of the most engaging podcast episodes I've ever heard. And I've probably, I agree. I am a rabid consumer of, of podcasts. Me too. And this kind yeah. of content. I've probably listened to over like 10,000. Like this is seriously one of like minute by minute. Yeah. Just riveting. Po- Cause both these guys are just, I mean, Howard Stern is like, you know, the God of, you know, that was one of my most enjoyable car rides home from campus on the four Oh five South, which is, you know, one of the worst commutes in the country. Uh, (laughs) I, I was like, I did, I wasn't ready for it. I don't want this traffic to end. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So good. Let's keep this going. Yeah. So that episode alone is, was just amazing. And even like the ad, ad reads that Conan does with like his assistant and yeah. producer, which are usually things that you just fast forward to on podcasts. I found are pretty like funny and yeah, they're engaging. To, and, so. Yeah. And you get a little more of Conan's personality in those. And yeah, that, that Howard interview, like when they started talking about nine 11 and, and Howard Stern's oh. live broadcast during, during, you know, the events occurring on yeah. that day, that was riveting. Um, and like you said, they were kind of just interviewing each other. Like, you know, obviously yeah. Howard Stern is one of the greatest interviewers of all time. Conan is working his way up on that list. And, and it was just like really fascinating. They got into like psychology and therapy and they were just yeah. sort of like all their insecurities. Yeah. Like it was Conan, the guilt that he has from like going to Har- when he went to Harvard. It, it uh-huh. just very revealing. It was great. Yeah. yeah. I loved it. And, and other episodes have been really good too. Like, I mean, there's like Lisa Kudrow. I know uh, I haven't listened to that one, but Natalie said that's her favorite so far. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just something for everybody. And, uh, you know, Bill Haders was really great. Uh, He's done a he's done a lot. And and I heard on one of the recent episodes that they're winding down like, quote unquote, season one of the podcast. And I guess they're Mm going to come back for a season two, maybe with some sort of short hiatus in between. But yeah. Um, it's a really great interview podcast. Um, if that's if that's your thing, I would highly recommend it. Definitely. So Conan needs a friend. Check it out. Must go faster. Approved. All right. Let's transition over to some movies. Yeah. Let's start with uh, with some Toy Story four, Rob, which you have All seen. Right. I have not. I will definitely yeah. be seeing it this year, but just mm-hmm. is one I haven't got around to. What uh, what's your, what's your take on Toy Story four? It's good. <laughs> All right, let's um, move on. So John, yeah. <laughs> so obviously, Toy Story four, massive Pixar franchise, um, the fourth installment. Uh, the first was Toy Story that came out, you know, ninety five, I believe, is the first Pixar film, uh, eighty one minutes long. There's this, there's this thing that I've heard multiple places that uh, the technology to it took to render. Toy Story 1, or the current technology, they could render the entire 81 minutes of Toy Story now with modern computing power in less time than it takes to watch the 81 minute film. So that and mm. so that's just to get to my point about how much the technology has uh, advanced and developed over the years, I guess about 24, 25 years now of Pixar. Um, this film is just unbelievably 
gorgeous uh, in terms of like computer animation. Yeah. It's the textures and the tones and the lighting. Um, it's really remarkable what they're able to do now with computer animation. I mean, it's always been amazing and like Toy Story created this basically new art form. Um, but nowadays it's just like I've heard an interview with the the director who a guy named Josh Cooley who's worked for uh, Pixar for quite a while but this is his first time uh, as director which wow what what sort of pressure put on you to mm-hmm. yeah take over the Toy Story franchise as your first uh, directing uh, work like that's a it's a pretty big jump but um, he did a great job um, but I heard him talking in, in this interview about how they had to like scale down the the animation a little bit because it was looking a little too real and they still wanted it to be mm. you know sort of an animated thing and not not super hyper real looking but um yeah so there's some new characters in this film tony hale plays forky that's probably the most uh most notable um i wanted to mention uh annie potts reviving her role as bo peep um so she she's like the third lead on all the movie posters and uh she she was in the first two movies she comes back i don't believe she was in the third film but with this storyline, there's like a good reason for it. You'll see that in, in Toy Story 4. Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key play Bunny and Ducky. Uh, they're great, hilarious characters and nice additions. Uh, Keanu Reeves plays Duke Kaboom, the Canadian stuntman. Really funny character. Um, Christina Hendricks as Gabby Gabby. Allie Mackey as Giggle McDimples. Uh, and then the Carl Weathers as the Combat Carl trio. That's one of the best bits uh, comedy-wise in the film. Nice. And I, I definitely recommend stick around for the uh, all the credits. And there's a couple stingers that happen mid-credits. And then there's a, a little joke at the very, very end when the lights come up. There's a little little tiny stinger joke that's worth the wait. Um, but yeah, I think this is like a really great addition to the franchise. Um, didn't you know, feel stale. Like, the, no, you know, it didn't the feel stale. Of a franchise. I, they found a fresh story. Yeah. There's a, there's a fresh storyline. I mean, it, it is a little repetitive at times with sort of like this Woody has to rally the troops and jump <laughs> yeah. out the window and save the day, you know, like it, it, it feels done before, but it's, it's new. It's fresh. Um, you know, there's different elements. Bonnie is obviously the bigger character than Andy. Now, um, you know, she has all of these toys that Andy donated to her. There's a little flashback to that in the beginning. Um, yeah, I, I just loved it. Uh, you know, there's tears, there's laughter. Um, it's a, it's a great family film. It's a little more, uh, of like, it felt a, a tiny bit more of like a kids movie than maybe Toy Story three that was like very dark and uh, deep and yeah, adult where you at times like mortality. Yeah, I mean, all of the Pixar movies have the weight those of elements. <laughs> yeah, the weight of death. Uh, yeah, Toy Story three like the last twenty minutes actually. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about just how uh, heavy Crazy. that can get. I mean, which I love, but. I yeah. can see them maybe backing off that in the in the fourth one. No, it's really good. Um, I I I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely worth seeing. I think it has a chance at getting a best picture nomination. Uh, you know, early oh, hype wow. for that. Um, and yeah, one thing I wanted to mention: there was no Pixar animated short at the beginning of this film, which is yeah. a little jarring. First time uh, ever. No, is it the first time ever? I, I think I saw that it was the first time they yeah they did yeah. A short. Okay, yeah, I'm not positive about that, but I I'll take your word for it. Um. 
yeah, it's a little jarring. I was like, oh, wait, is this the movie? Like, it opens with this this rainstorm, and I thought that was the animated short, but it was it was the movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was a little jarring. But apparently Pixar is doing uh, these, these things online called uh, Pixar Spark Shorts program. Uh, I think there have been two or three so far. There's this one called Kit Bowl, uh, about a kitten and a pit bull. That was pretty dark, but also really charming. Uh, check those out on YouTube. Just uh, search Pixar Spark Shorts. Um, some interesting work there. You've um, always then, been very into the Pixar animated shorts. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I love I, I've seen you do on like a passionate yeah. monologue about <laughs> like yeah, it's the happened. animated shorts. Of I Pixar. have those DVDs. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I love short films. It's like a, it's a different yeah, a little, sort of art and yeah, a little snack, a little bite size piece of work, and uh, you know, with with done correctly. Obviously, I'm I'm kind yeah. of like living in the short film world right now in in film school. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of those. But uh, yeah, I think that's all I have. I. I really loved yeah. this film and maybe one of my favorites that I've seen so far this year. Nice. So let me talk about John mother, John Wick three for a second. <laughs> yeah. Parallel John Wick three. So we, we shared our top five action movies, not on the pod per se, but actually yeah. on our, our social channels. Uh-huh. This is my plug to follow at muster must go faster pod across, yeah. you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you haven't already, I actually had John Wick two, listed uh-huh. as my number five i did a rewatch of it as i was preparing for the release Uh-oh. of john wick three uh-huh. and was really just blown away i there was definitely some recency bias like you know <laughs> sure i, I, I like I, I was just kind of maybe part of me looking for an excuse like let me let me fit john wick yeah in yeah that's my well list. that's what a top five list is yeah but i think two is a, just a phenomenal action movie so going into three, I was excited as hell. I actually saw as a, as a matinee, and it was kind of a rather sparse crowd. Maybe, you know, would have definitely enhanced it if I was in like a packed Friday night crowd, but just mm. um, with the schedule of when I wanted to see it. Saw the matinee. John Wick 3, it had that kind of similar appeal that, you know, Mission Impossible Fallout did last summer, which we both freaking loved, where it just like doubles down on its spectacle it knows what it is and it just like keeps delivering the goods Mm. even at like a larger scale Uh i mean the staging of so many of the action sequences i saw someone describe describe it as um gun fu like kung fu but oh yeah yeah that's a great in how it's like ballet like yeah and just the choreography gunfighting yeah there's an amazing death by spoiler spoiler alert a uh, library book i think it's the first okay. first death of the movie that john wick takes out a guy with with a library book and nice. it is spectacular there's a death by horse kick there's this <laughs> amazing like knife throwing scene that's just like they just make when they how they approach action like in this trilogy they're just able uh. to find really creative and, and new fresh ways to just display action yeah. uh there's this amazing sequence where there's like this gang on these like motorcycles chasing wick mm-hmm. on um this bridge when they're all like holding like machetes and it's a lot of it shot in like one take just really just awesome cinematic stuff hmm. keanu reeves i mean has become one of if not the defining action hero of our lifetime when you mm-hmm. consider everything from Point Break to Speed to the Matrix trilogies and now with John Wick. I mean, there's actually a very real possibility that he will be 
more well-known for John Wick than The Matrix. Now, yeah. The Matrix, especially the original, is a much more important and innovative mm-hmm. uh, in a, you know, nearly like masterpiece of a movie, which I wouldn't put any of the John Wicks necessarily in that category. But there is a good chance that he this will be the roles that he's most yeah. known for. Well, I would already and, say that this trilogy is more beloved than The Matrix trilogy because the second two Matrixes uh, reloaded just, and whatever the other one is revolutions or yeah, something. yeah um i those are kind of like fell flat for a lot of people myself included yeah, and and totally. john wick 2 and 3 seem to be uh you know quite beloved and so yeah i think i think it's already that case um have you it's mentioned an odd experience um oh go ahead well have you mentioned the director chad uh Stileski, who yeah, comes he, he directed all three of the uh of the john wick films um yeah, he comes from like a kickboxing uh, stunt performer background. Um, it's really interesting, and I think that that plays a huge part into like why the the choreography and the gun fu, as you put it, um, is really like at the forefront of these films. And it's it is you can you can kind of see and feel like the stunt performance elements are are you know the the highlighted key. Um, you know parts to these films and uh obviously the director being a a stunt performer himself is plays a big part in that yeah and i've had an odd experience with the wick trilogy in terms of like i actually thought the original was a bit overhyped and Mm -hmm. is my least favorite of the trilogy which i was thinking i don't think there's a single other trilogy in existence where i would say that the the first one is actually the the weakest Mm -hmm. for me the order i think definitely goes two three one okay and I just think I overall, haven't seen though, this. I haven't seen this film yet, by the way. It it just does an amazing job of like the world building that they really expand, starting with two and three. Yeah. They even blow it out even wider. They're just really mm-hmm. committed to it, and it's just an awesome, awesome action trilogy. Definitely the best action trilogy of this decade. So nice. Parabellum. three is a lot of fun. And How is Holly Berry? Twelve more. She's good. Yeah, she she had she shows up in the second act. Uh-huh. Um, that's where they bring some some dogs into the fold, which is a oh. uh, a key part of the oh. the John Wick trilogy, yeah. given the way that it kicks off. But uh-huh. yeah, it was good to see her on screen. She's had pretty weird career uh-huh. <laughs> these last twenty years, and is. But anyway, yeah, she she's good. So cool. I also wanted to talk about Booksmart quickly, which I yeah. just saw yesterday. Yeah, um, yeah. Directed by Olivia Wilde, very confident directorial debut. Mm. There's just. Really, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I thought. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Some, Natalie has. I missed it. So uh, this mm-hmm. is. I'm gonna take your lead here. It has just some. First off, like some just great, pretty like layered performances um, from the two leads, uh, Beanie Feldstein, who's the the stepsister of Jonah Hill. She right. had an awesome um, supporting part in Lady Bird, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, Caitlin uh, Deaver, I believe is her name, and and also just a strong cast of, of side characters you know this movie takes place um during like graduation week a high school you know it's a trope of like high school movies that you have kind of all these stereotypes represented it and it's a very wide cast but they definitely all bring something to the table and add their humor and this movie book smart it opened memorial day weekend so it's been out for quite a while now and it, it kind of bombed that opening weekend but has picked up steady word of mouth yeah uh you know i saw this like a month after it came out and the theater was still like half full you know and, oh that's I mean, good you know again this, this is brooklyn but i could definitely see that's encouraging this movie picking up yeah 
some some cult cult movie status. Um, right. It's impossible when you're watching not to make the comparison to to super bad. The, the plot okay. is very similar in a lot of ways, and you know, following these two best friends as well, they have that was a, successful. Right. Yeah. Take this excursion <laughs> to find you know this uh, this high school party, and you know their their love lives, trying to figure that out. They're insecure, etc. <laughs> nice. Um, it's but it is like very updated for 2019. I would say mm-hmm. you know this movie. It's pretty. It's pretty political, you know, from like the left wing, which, you know, I, I was totally fine with given that I'm a, a liberal, but I could see some <laughs> people in middle middle America maybe being sure. like turned off by some of the aspects. Uh-huh. Um, not every scene works, but the third act is really strong. It, like Superbad, has kind of these emotional beats that really work well to balance mm-hmm. out a lot of the raunchy humor that's present in this movie. Okay. And really the thing I want to emphasize most about this is the music throughout mm. this it plays literally like like a like a jukebox where I cannot nice. remember a movie having this sheer number of just like song placements. It literally felt like there were over like forty five different. I'm not exaggerating. Like forty five different uh, syncs in this movie of That's bits awesome. of music. Like I feel like it had more music than even like Baby Driver, which was like a lot of, integral a lot of needle the, drops to the plot. Yeah, and yeah. there's a lot of you know, party rap and like some indie and upbeat, you know, there's Run the Jewels and LCD, uh-huh. LCD sound system, Lizzo. Huh. But they just do these cool editing techniques where they have a bit of a song that starts and then they cut out, have have like, you know, like five or 10 seconds of some, you know, dialogue and then the song comes mm-hmm. back in. Like, I just felt they got really playful and creative with the music. And it's just like constant. I feel like there's not a minute those goes by in like this hour and a half movie where there isn't like a new song drop in. Damn. Yeah, most of the songs are, are used really well and it's just hard not to have a good time with this I'm movie into that. and yeah. highly highly recommend it. Book smart. Cool. Speaking of good times, well you wanted to uh quickly oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a show you wanted to, to shout out given the, the yeah, high school well, nature I mean, before you do Midsummer. When you said you were going to talk about Book Smart, I, I just had to shout out Pen 15 the the hulu original show Mm -hmm. um it came out a while ago maybe in like i don't know march or april i can't remember but we we watched it it's all on hulu still actually i think it came out in february but um so maya erskine and anna conkle and then this guy named uh sam zvebelman i'm not sure how to pronounce his last name uh but maya erskine and anna conkle are the two stars uh Maya Erskine is 32. Anna Conkle's in her t- late 20s, I believe, um, mid to late 20s. I don't want to shortchange her there. Um, she, they're they're both they're playing these seventh grade girls um, in this, and they do a great job with the makeup and the wigs and the you know costume design and everything to make them these like awkward seventh graders. Um, it's just about the you know dealing with growing up and becoming a, a teenager and you know, going through middle school and into high school and like how awkward things are and little like sexuality things. And, uh, you know, there's like an episode of AIM like focused. Uh, Mm. so if you're of our sort of age range, like late twenties to mid thirties, it, this show just like struck some chords in people. Like a few of my classmates even told me like, I couldn't watch it because it was too, too real too cringeworthy yeah all like all too real you know like it's just mm-hmm. too awkward and brought up too many bad memories and like 
uh, yeah. So, but it's it's coming back for a second season in 2020. Um, so yeah, I I just highly recommend. It's really funny and uh, super enjoyable, and you kind of knock it out like really quickly. I think we watched it over the course of like two or three nights. Um, it's mm-hmm. 10 30 minute episodes. So yeah, uh, that's Pen Fifteen. Really really funny charming like nice nice uh easy watch i would say speaking of charming easy watches let's wrap up this podcast yeah with some midsummer hype oh boy i told you that i want to go to that festival in sweden no you said it would be cool to go yeah and then i got the opportunity i just wish you would have told me that's all i was gonna ask you if you wanted to come with me you ruined the surprise. I wanted it to be romantic. Okay, and now I was being sarcastic in the sense <laughs> yeah. of what what genre this movie falls in. So, did you see my Instagram story? By the oh, way, oh yeah, no, that freaked <laughs> me out. I, I had to like. Yeah, yeah. What Natalie was it? There was sent like those me chalk that. outlines. Like yeah, the there's a chalk drawing. Just for people who haven't seen it, there's a chalk drawing in my neighborhood. Natalie sent me that. I, she left the house early yesterday and sent me a picture, and she was like, "This is right outside of our building." And then I went down and took a picture of it. It's like the Midsummer logo, and it was just like jarring. And I was like, "What kind of sick adult drew this song with their?" Kids well, I wonder if it's part there. of some viral marketing by I know yeah no I mean that'd be really smart and you're definitely in the area where that stuff goes down so for sure everything I'm learning about this movie it's it comes out very soon yeah you know probably by the time we release this it might be out but we wanted to just talk about some of the hype that we're feeling to end this pod everything I'm learning about it just makes my like skin crawl in Uh the best kind of way if you're into like horror movies if you're not familiar at all just the quick um Descriptor of the plot, so a couple travels to Sweden to visit a rural hometown's fabled midsummer festival. Mm-hmm. What begins as a peaceful retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. Mm. Sweet. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, all the trailers for this, which I, I believe started coming out earlier that, you know, at the beginning of the year, have just been fire like uh, yeah just awesome like yeah. I, I think the marketing's been really good there's a very like demented string score in the trailers mm-hmm. there's you know Those this little is quick by cutaways toward the end Oh, man. oh yeah i i've like Sorry. freeze framed so many of those <laughs> to see like yeah. what they're packed i mean because i'm just like a sick i don't know I, <laughs> when it comes to these horror movies like i just have a lot of just curiosity and yeah these you know this is directed by ari astor who um made hereditary last year which yeah. we both written really and directed dug. both of those films. one of the scariest movies of the 21st century and mm-hmm. he said that this is a bit of a companion piece to hereditary yeah you can kind of see that in the trailer there's some similar elements the main character played by florence Pugh, is is, is kind of going through uh grief of some kind and you mm-hmm. know grief is actually a obviously a huge theme of, of the hereditary plot yeah like in the trailer if you notice there's like this reoccurring just like oh yeah, yeah. And it reminds me of in Hereditary, just like the the, the cluck the Yeah, yeah. He's like doing that again. It's it's uh-huh. so you know, that's just another way these these kind of uh movies could be tied together. Yeah. Something that, you know, if you watch a trailer or see any of the marketing for this, it's it's shot in just like pitch daylight mm-hmm. in this part of the world where yeah. the sun never sets. 
They definitely used. Yeah, it's um, a little overexposed, you know, like, like blown out, like yeah. super bright and colorful. But I'm sure there's going to be like a dark twist, you know, to contrast that. Yeah, well, I like that juxtaposition, and I think he's really playing into that as like just having like a lot of just like horrific imagery, but against yeah. this like hyper bright, surreal. Oh yeah, backdrop. It, you it know, feels we're going to see some dreamlike. We're going to see some vivid red blood at some point that's going to like really, oh, oh, just take up the whole screen and be like strikingly red, you know? <laughs> yeah. But the thing, you know, as we learn watching Hereditary with director, like, you know, th- this is horror, but it's all like Hereditary, like it was just like a really well told story and well made. I mean, this is just a really a director who knows what he's doing. It, it wasn't like. As, as scary as it was, it wasn't, like, manipulative. And this isn't no. just a director who's just going to be like, oh, here's a bunch of shocking images. Like, I think it's... I think the runtime for this is, like, two hours and 20 minutes. I think it's yeah. going to take its time. Pretty long. I've yeah. heard the the third act is, like, completely bonkers, which oh. I'm just excited to see what... Just a shitstorm of horror. ...has, yeah, up his <laughs> sleeve. I've it. also heard it's, like, this movie's hilarious, apparently. Like, it's supposed to be, oh, like, really? super funny. So, yeah. really curious to see those blend of tones. I was getting some, and, um, like, the, the, the trailer. I've only watched the one, like, original trailer because I don't want to see too many shots and, you know, have too much spoiled. Modern trailers do that, tend to do that. Um, but it had, like, Cabin in the Woods vibes to the t- trailer. Mm-hmm. Like, how they, they're, like, friends at home, everything's good, and then they're talking about this this getaway, and yeah, so I could see that comedy element um, coming from that and this group of friends. Mm-hmm. Jordan Peele, in an interview, said that it has, quote, atrociously disturbing imagery. Oh, boy. Sign, sign me up. Sign yeah. Me up. Um, yeah. And I'm just... You I'm, have I'm my just, money. Just, <laughs> right. I'm just ready for this movie to kind of just like F me up. Like that's part of why I like horror movies is they really, when they're done well, and most of them are, are, you know, bad, but when they're done well, it's one of my favorite genres and they just kind of just the visceral like emotion that they pull out of you. Uh I, I'm just excited for that. And there's something about when you know, going into a film, that it's going to be like just horrific and like haunting imagery as you said you just like put your arms on the armrests and sit back and you're like just fuck me up you know like just right. just give it all to, you know like i just right, right. i surrender need it. yourself I need it yeah it's like right it's, right it's pure escapism like yeah it's like getting to our primal yeah. one of our like primal emotions as humans is just like fear you yeah, know it, yeah and it, it i just reminds need us it. that we're we're alive you know right a lot right of these... yeah i want to feel those feelings and these things like <laughs> bring it out of me like everyone has these little like weird weird inner you know demons and thoughts and like it, it not that anybody like acts on them but these movies like you know allow you to just like be in this like sick world for a little while and it's yeah there's just something to a great horror film that's like different than anything else it's just such a fun experience in a lot of ways um but yeah fun I mean, yeah that's one way to put it i guess <laughs> anyway let's um let, let let's end there on that note midsummer yeah. we're, well, no, we're I super to, hyped i have a quick question for you just to circle back to the very first topic uh just to round out this this you know 90 minute program Chernobyl. here yeah do, would you travel there's this thing going on where people are like traveling to chernobyl and like these social media influencers um sure, sure, yeah. would you go to chernobyl you ben 
Would you walk around? It's actually around? my summer vacation. I want to, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've already planned my trip. No, it's a good question. I've thought about it. I guess they have it set up in a way where, you know, you're obviously wearing these like hazmat suits and masks. Uh-huh. And I guess it's mostly, it's not too risky to go to this exposed area. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's not on my, uh, you know, top list of places to go. I mean, you could carry around not... one of those meters and, uh, you know, get yeah, those little beeps that you like and see how many ronkins you're reading and stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not like fully opposed to it. Yeah. I, I would, it would be kind of, if in my life you were to tell me like, yeah, you will visit Chernobyl at some time, I'd be like, oh, something, oh, some weird turn may have yeah. happened in my, I don't know, that led <laughs> me to Chernobyl. But, I know, I'm like, maybe give it yeah. another 30 years and into my like elderly phase of my life where I'm yeah. traveling a little more, yeah, like, tired I, I don't have any, I'm not in any rush to go there, you know? Um, right. that would be my take. Yeah. But... Like I want to go to, you know, uh, Tokyo before. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, anyway, all right, that's going to do it for this episode of must go faster. Thanks so much for listening. We know this is a long one. So if you made it this far, really appreciate you guys giving the support. Yeah. Spread the word and we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Peace. Thanks for listening. As always talk to you soon. Peace, Ben.